Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode of Loose Units deals with some pretty triggering stuff, some pretty scary stuff, and some pretty awful stuff. So if you feel like you might be triggered by references to suicide or abuse or anything of that nature, please take care of yourself and maybe tune in next week. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has been widely regarded as one of the most dangerous times to be a police officer in Australia. It was basically the Wild West. So I wrote a book about it. It was called Loose Units. And then we did a podcast about it. Loose Unit Season 1 was an incredible experience, and we loved every minute of it. But it turns out that Dad did more than just patrol the streets. He plunged headfirst into the terrifying world of forensics. So on this season of Loose Units, that's what we're doing. We're going deep into the world of forensics and fingerprints and all of that good stuff. Well, I say good stuff. Actually, things got worse than ever. So strap in for Loose Unit Season 2 electric blue hello and welcome to episode four of season two of loose units Two electric blue i am your host paul verhoven and uh across from me is ex-cop john verhoven my dad how you doing dad good great paul thank you (laughs) no problem if we sound a little bit uh strung out it's because frankly these stories are starting to take a bit of a toll on us and that's fine because you know they're intense stories we hope you're hanging in there, and we hope you're excited, and you hope we hope you're enjoying the show. But something we wanted to do this week was test you a little bit, you know, like test your limits in terms of what you can take. So, Dad, I believe you've got a pretty harrowing story for mm, us this week. But haven't the other stories been harrowing enough? Yeah, but you've got to, like, keep the... Yeah, it's like a mixtape. You've got to keep the tracks rolling. Okay, They're going to be good well, tracks. Yeah, okay, well, this story is pretty bad. Uh, when did this take place? Well, I was in forensics. Uh, scientific investigation. Yep. And I was doing my relieve and assist. Now, one of the weird things about relieve and assist, and I can't quite recall the exact details, but somehow or other, as fate would have it, because you know how I said to you our geographical area was north of the Harbour Bridge? Yes. Well, there's a suburb in way, way, way out west in Sydney called Kingswood, mm-hmm. and it is quite frankly, now it's weird, and, you know, I don't want to cop any flack from anyone that lives in Kingswood. But in fairness to the story, I had to do this job. We, we went to this particularly horrific crime in a suburb called Kingswood, mm. which is Western Sydney. Now, I don't really want people to write in saying, look, why are you bagging out Kingswood? But at the time, Kingswood was a pretty depressing suburb. Yeah. It's out near Penrith. It's just, it was just sad. It was summer, it was hot. 
It was weird. It had There was the vibe. And I didn't quite know what we were getting ourselves into that fateful day. And I don't quite recall why we actually had to go out there. Maybe they were short on staff, but we ended up driving for a long, long time to this godforsaken suburb. Now, again, it's not necessarily godforsaken now, but back then it was pretty fucked. Yeah, God may have walked it no, back. No, depra- and- it was a sad suburb. It had a, had a, had a, a pall of sadness over it. Oh, that's my name. Mm. And um, what we were confronted with was one of the most terrible scenes that I've ever seen. So uh, who were you with on this specific um, day? The same guy that I mentioned in the previous episode, that oh. pretty cool dude who nothing seemed to phase him, but he was visibly, during, during, the, during the course of this particular investigation, he, he became a little bit, a bit unraveled, Do you and rightfully he, so. What was his name? First name, Dave. Is that true? I think so. Okay. So, Dave. From memory. There's a lot of, like, monosyllabic characters in these stories. Can you give him a cool name? Like, <laughs> like uh, Charlton? His name was Dave. And, um... <laughs> God damn it. And, uh, you remember what I was telling you about? It's easy, like, it's easy to tell a story if it's true. Yeah. And that's why these stories are relatively easy. Like, I, I don't sort of feed in little bits of side stuff that's not real this is all as it happened and pretty well you know pretty well as it happened Mm. so we rock up into this street now the 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 weird thing about this street is that it was directly the house where we were going was directly opposite the hospital which you'll come to realize later is pretty weird in itself there's a hospital in kingswood well, there was back then. I don't know whether it's still there, but it was this hospital. And it was like you'd come out of the, the driveway and you'd look across the road into another driveway, which was a driveway to the hospital. What do you think it's like living across from somewhere like that? Police station, like, you know, fire station, hospital, what kind of... I think what... you feel good. Do you? Well, if there's an emergency, you just run across and present yourself. But don't you think seeing sick or dying people kind of... You would've... don't necessarily see them. You just look the other way. Right. You don't think it would have any effect on you being around that as a civilian? Uh, no. you have any research or data on that? <laughs> None, I can't back that up. Okay. But that's um, an opinion so, based on whatever. But this house was across from... Across, but which will come... Which will... You're going to... You'll see the irony. Because I haven't told you what's happened in this house, have I? No, not yet. Well, actually, nothing happened in the house. Because there was a granny flat out the back. Yeah. And that's where... This story takes place. In a granny flat? Correct. Um, for our international listeners, what's a granny flat? It's like a tiny little um, appendage of a house, like a converted garage in this case. Oh, appendage, mate. I was thinking like it was a tail or something. No, no, no. So imagine if there was a double garage out the back of a house and they've converted it into a tiny little flat. Oh, yeah, okay. Now, in that flat was a young single mother mm-hmm. with a baby. And one night... The mum, single mum, she would have been in her early 20s. Yeah. She was asleep. And next to her bed was a cot. And in that cot was her baby. Now, she had had an on-again, off-again relationship with a particularly bad person. And this was one of those situations where we were in the off-again situation where she had told him that the relationship was um, was not on and she didn't want to see him again. Now, he, being a particularly nasty piece of work, he decided one night to break into her 
tiny little apartment. So he got in through a window and in his hand, not sure whether it was his left or right hand, he had a hammer. And with that hammer, while she was sleeping, he began to stove her head in, blow upon blow. And as the hammer came down and pierced her skull, the brain, which is fairly well enclosed within a cranial cavity, really had nowhere to go except as each blow came down, the brain needed to escape. And it did so by blowing itself upwards and outwards and basically spread itself pretty well all over the ceiling. So the scene was set for a particularly gruesome murder. So she was she had her head completely stoved in with a hammer. Fortunately, he didn't touch the baby. <clears throat> so the baby, poor little baby, was uh, sleeping throughout uh, this whole traumatic incident where the mother was being murdered. He then left through a window mm-hmm. and... There was a small gap between the side of the granny flat and the neighbour's fence. He then somehow or other, according to him, he then threw the hammer into the property next door. He then felt fairly bad about what he'd done, so he decided to take his life. So he got a razor blade and he slashed his wrists. And in the process, in those last moments of his life, feeling pretty bad about murdering with a hammer his ex, he decided, as he was slipping out of this world, that he actually didn't want to kill himself. So he bandaged himself up and he called Triple O. And the ambulance comes along. He's long gone from the scene. In fact, no one even knows that there's been a murder. And when they get him in the back of the ambulance and he's carrying on, uh, you know, wanting to, to live, he discloses to the ambulance officers what he's done and then it escalated and the police got involved police go there rescue the little baby and leave her body in the bed with brains from our soldier breakfast broken fingers again we've mentioned those wounds where you defend yourself so the hammer comes down and smashes all her fingers so it's a pretty bad scene and this was the first time that we were allowed or we decided that we were going to use video evidence so we had a, a video camera it was fairly clunky, uh, and we decided to uh, to film this particular scene. So you can imagine, we go in there, there's the scene, the girls, it's a murder scene, so no police are allowed in there. It's just myself and my colleague, and we're in there trying to figure out, you know, what on earth had happened. And there was no um, sign of the weapon, but we found out later that through his admissions, he said he'd left the window Um, after he'd murdered her, and then he'd thrown this hammer. Now, we kind of went down the side of the building and we realised that it was fairly difficult to get a a decent throw. You know when you throw, you put your arm right back and then you hurl the hammer, and hammers are fairly heavy. Mm. But we figured he didn't have much backswing, so it would have been not uh, a very big... uh, We we felt the hammer would not have moved uh, that far. So there was sort of a market garden next door. Now, unbeknownst to us... Because uh, we then needed to try and find the murder weapon because we knew it would have blood and bone and hair stuck to it. What we didn't realise is that it was actually a clubhouse for a bikey gang. So we've gone in to this house and these guys, they were really heavy. And we're there in dust jackets, like sort of these mad scientist sort of boffin types looking for this murder weapon. So what we did, we set up a bit of an emu parade. Do you know what that is? No. Where 
uh, you know, everyone stands in a line and you all look look down and you and you sort of do a forensic inspection mm. of, of the lay of the land. But yeah. there were lots of plants and there was stuff everywhere. It's like a vacant lot. What, what time of day is it at this point? Uh, about probably two in the arvo. Oh, so it's pretty light out. Yeah, it was light. Okay. And we're looking for the hammer. Needless to say, we never ever found the hammer. But what did happen is that one of the bikies, they were all on the back veranda sort of jeering and shouting and swearing and telling us to... You know, you'd imagine what they were like. What kind of building were they in? They would, it was like a, it was a house. It was a residential street. So when you really, yeah. So when you say a bikey clubhouse, yeah. Well, that, that's they, they, that was their clubhouse, and, that, ju- and quite often they live in houses or their their, their clubs. It's more so these days, they're more fortified um, compounds with barbed wire, etc. But this was a fairly standard house. Mm. Anyway, um, they had this uh, massive German shepherd. And one of the bikies set the German Shepherd onto us. So uh, I remember looking behind, and I saw this German Shepherd coming toward us, and it was it was in kill mode, and which is kind of rather it was pretty intense. And I remember uh, shitting myself, and I managed to jump over a, a six foot fence with my scientific dust coat on, which was a feat of remarkable. Well, it was incredible. That's what fear can do to you. Adrenaline. Adrenaline. Yeah. So I basically jumped over like Superman over this fence and it was good because the dog didn't get me. And then one of the uh, police officers shot the dog uh, dead because the dog was going to kill at least one of us. Right. And then what happened then is we created a fairly major incident. I bike is against police. Talk me through this on a pretty like micro level, like what? Ha- how? What do you mean incident? Like how does it happen? They the bikies didn't want us on their land. Yeah, we were looking for a murder weapon. But it's We've, a vacant lot, right? No, no, it's no, it's the back of their house. It's a back garden of a bikie's house. See, they're all back. But the, the, that's where the, the 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 hammer had allegedly been thrown into the neighbor's property. Sure. So we're in the back of this property, but they these bikies were on on the porch jeering and yelling and telling us to. Piss off and and so the German Shepherd gets shot, which is very no. Well, they 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 set a German Shepherd onto us. They basically this is like an attack dog, and we're all out in the back looking for a for a murder weapon. And then all of a sudden, there's this bloody huge German Shepherd barreling down towards. Well, I, I took one look look and um, I was gone. I just literally flew. Would you say that was an act of <laughs> like what like running well, running away? Like there's a story as to why. I reacted that way because when I was a young kid, um, we were in Holland and some yeah. set a dog onto me and I was nine. They set a dog on you? Yeah, like a wild dog. And the dog actually, I was on a, a swing and the dog lunged up and grabbed onto my back, that bit of flesh on my back and yeah. literally bit in and hung on while I was on this swing. It was, it was terrible. So the, I've always had this... German Shepherd thing? This thing about being bitten. Yeah, okay. So you, there was a natural reaction. Natural. Well, how, how did the other cops react to that? No, well, one of the cops reacted by turning around and shooting the dog. Okay. And okay. then we had a full-blown riot on our hands. And the tactical response group, which is the riot squad that had just been formed, yeah. was in its very, very early stages. They were called and they were really excited, the TRG, because they got to do a live exercise. But talk to me about... What happens in the moment after the dog gets shot? Like, do the bikies immediately mobilise? I mean, cops well, are armed, so like, what do they pull out? Guns? Like, what happens? Look, I, I as I said, I I jumped the fence. 
I was gone. So you didn't see. I heard stuff. the I heard the shot, uh, and it was a bit of a bit of a bit of a you know a bit of a drama. Mm-hmm. But then the TRG, fortunately, that were based at Penrith. Yep. They um they came in. But they wouldn't have arrived straight away. No, they were there within probably less than ten minutes. I'm trying to figure out what happens in those ten minutes. Well, look, I you know. You're hiding. I wasn't hiding, you were, Paul. You were. It sounds like you were hiding behind a fence, <laughs> watching through a knothole in the fence, like a little kid. Yeah, no, not quite. Because it sounds like you've used the word clubhouse. Yep. and I mean, it sounds cute, but we are at the scene of a horrendous crime. Yeah, yep. And the bikies are there. Yep. The guy wasn't connected with the bikies, was he? You don't think he was? No, no. Right. This is one of those just horrible places to be. No, it was just bad. It was, it was, it was surreal. It was a hot... Summer afternoon in Sydney, out west. Murder, emu parade, dog gets shot, and then the bike. Bi- uh, the bi- you know, the bikies are upset. Tactical response group come in. They're excited because they get to you know mm. do some some actual police work. And then what happens? What happens then? Are you around for the next part? What do you mean the next part? I mean the riot squad come in. Are you sitting? No, there no, it's got nothing to do with me. No, awesome. no, no. We're backed into the murder scene. Oh, wait, hang on. How are you going to get your work done with a riot going on? Well, it wasn't a riot, but it was a bit of a, you know... Kerfuffle. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't often ask this question on the show, or rather, maybe I do. I'm not sure. I occasionally want people who've done bad things to uh, suffer a great deal, and that would probably make me a very bad police officer. The person who did this thing to this woman is, I think it's fair to say, a monster. Mm. Um, What happened to them? Well, how's this? You've got to tip your hat to the Ambos that saved his life. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So, they were presented with some facts. Can you imagine if they were rogue ambulance officers? And just thought, fuck you. Yeah. And basically let him die in the back of the ambulance. Now, perhaps a part of them might think that, but that's not their job. That's mm. They're not there to, to judge. Uh, they're there to... I mean, this guy made a basically a dying declaration. Now, when you make a dying declaration, it's regarded in law as the truth. 
it's it's generally recognised and assumed that people do not lie when they're dying. Right. Hence that term. So a de- a dying declaration or a deathbed, you know, declaration. Yeah. Is generally regarded as there aren't. I guess you could. It'd be pretty weird to lie as you're about to. You know. Yeah. I mean, perhaps that's anyway. That's how the law looks upon that. And he's he's saying to these ambulances, he's he's basically telling them what he's done, um, and he probably told them where and the whole thing. And you know, it ends up a crime scene. We end up there, and and they save his life. So, you know, but I don't get involved and follow up necessarily all the stuff. Otherwise, I'd never. I need to move on. <clears throat> okay, so the government contractor—they're the guys that have a white panel van. They come in. Now they're sort of vans, and they take the body to the hospital. And guess where the hospital was? Across the road. So I'm standing there watching. They pick up the girl. Yeah. They put her in the back of this van, and they drive her 50 metres, and then they open up the van because they're at the hospital. And then they took her into a makeshift, not a makeshift, but a very small mortuary, which we'll touch on in future stories because I've got some weird stories about tiny morgues. And what happened then was pretty weird. Um, a fairly famous forensic dentist, and I had never, ever heard of a forensic dentist, he somehow or other was there and he came down and what he asked, he asked or he, he explained that he was working on some fairly experimental um, techniques and he was wondering whether he could practice this particular technique on this particular young girl who'd only been dead for maybe just a few hours. Mm. So I'm standing there and this is like extracurricular work. So our job's pretty well done. You know, we, we, we photographed and got film and got all our evidence. But then the senior um, forensic guy said, look, John, let's, let's hang around and let's basically see what happens here. And it was g- genuinely fascinating. So what they did, this forensic dentist, after getting clearance to, to proceed, and this is pre- post-mortem, he cut all the woman's hair, he then shaved her skull and then you could see the incredible, uh, the wounds, which were horrendous, as you can imagine, like really blunt force trauma is, is pretty, it's bad. Can you imagine getting going to the butcher and getting a piece of steak and then laying the steak down on, say, a piece of stone and then getting a hammer? And beating the shit out of the stake. Well, that's pretty well what it's like. Right. Anyway, what this forensic dentist then did, he got this, uh, he made up this compound, like a rubbery compound, and he made a, a, a lot of it. And I'm standing there, I'm, I mean, I'm in my mid 20s watching this, and it was very, very surreal. He made up this amazing rubberized compound, and get ready for this. He then, and this is going to sound terrible, he then rammed it down her throat. And then he kind of, what he was doing is he was taking an impression of her teeth. Right. Which was fascinating. Mm. And then it set within minutes. And then he removed, it was like, oh God, it was bad to watch. It was like the scene in Alien where that thing came out of the guy's stomach. Right. It was like this rubbery snake, but with teeth impression impressions yeah and he pulls it out and he's basically taken an entire mold the entire inside of her mouth including partially down her major airway airway Mm. and it was really interesting and years and years later uh, that forensic dentist became a friend of mine 
Really? Yeah. We met up and we were discussing stories and he said that, that that was him. Still uh, friends? Still yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's also a part-time, very, very senior officer in the uh, Royal Australian Navy. Really? He's a, he's a, a dentist in the Navy as well. Fascinating. Really interesting guy. That's interesting. So it's funny how life sort of, you know, years go by and, yeah. I'm... Um... I'm really. Str- I mean, I, I like I like listeners to be very clued in as to what the process of the show is like. Um, I'm really struggling with that story of the woman because um, there is maybe nothing that makes me sadder and angrier than the treatment of women. Yeah, no, it's uh, bad. And the fact that I mean, it's really upsetting. I mean, obviously, there's a trigger warning at the front of the episode, but um, gee- your job especially is kind of once, even one stage more removed from the patrol thing, which is, you know, from um, being general duties. Because mm. general duties is like... Well, they might come across and they do come across some bad shit, but mm. they're in and out. Like They get in, they see it, and then they go, shit, this is way out of our league. Let's get the detectives, let's get forensics, let's get fingerprints, mm. let's get... Look, you know, it's all dealt with and general duties they've look, 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 the bottom line in general duties is you, 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 you're the first responder... And then you get out of there. Why it's do you get out of there? Because you've got to get back on the road yeah. to get the next job. But you also get to arrest people, which means you get to a degree to sate that part of you that would, uh, in my mind at least, be looking for a modicum of justice. Look, I, Paul, in my experience, I mean, I worked in the police force during the bad days when police used to beat the shit out of prisoners. Mm. But to be to be honest, that was a very small minority of no, police that, that that basically took the law into their own hands. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that by actually being able to like arrest people, I guess there's a sense of, all right, I have taken in someone who's bad and put them into the system. Mm. With forensics, it sounds to me like you are arriving at a point where you actually can't get that moment. Did you, Were there any points in your forensics career where you actually got to... Yeah. I'll give you a story. Please do. Okay. Because I feel, is, I'm feeling but, like... From, okay. From, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, this is... If it's it's a fingerprint story. Is that okay or... I mean, I'm looking at the... But li- no, no. I'm looking at the listeners and they're nodding vigorously. So, I think we can flash forward just All to right. make an exception. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, there was a guy and I'm going to give... I'll use his real name because he's, he's a bad shit bag and he went to jail for what I'm about to tell you. But this is a fucked up story. Is he alive or dead? But don't know. Don't care. I know. I just don't want to risk... No, no. What? What? He committed a crime. He went to jail for it. Do you want me to use his name or not? Uh, or I won't name. use his name. You can use first okay, name. first name Charles. He went to a high school on the northern beaches and he was actually in my brother's class. Right. And he was a dead shit. So he uh, won lunchtime in DY. There used to be a, like a, you know, Centrelink. It yes. used to be called something else, had another name back in the, uh, in the 70s and 80s. And people used to go and get their unemployment benefits and look for jobs and it was all, you know, Centrelink or shit, no, no, what was it called? I know what you're thinking. Anyway, so there was a particular uh, lovely lady. She worked uh, a bit like any lovely lady uh, would would do working in a a government uh, office. And um, she was nine months pregnant and it was lunchtime and she decided to go home to have a quick break. This is a, trust me, it's a fucked story, but it's it's going to prove to you where I actually got to do something mind blowing. Okay, and you talk about being at the pointy end. This is a classic. Okay. So this particular shitbag, he follows this uh, this lady home, and he rapes her, and she's nine months pregnant. Now, he made her. 
have a shower afterwards because he believed he was getting rid of all the evidence. And he cleaned himself up as well. But he touched the towel rail in this apartment. And he left. And as a fingerprint technician, I came in and I dusted that fingerprint, uh, the rail, and I got enough prints to take those prints back to the uh, the Central Fingerprint Bureau that day. And I did a search and bango, bingo, whatever. I got his name. And I called the local police and said, this is the guy that raped that woman. And it was. And they arrested him that day. Now, that's a really, really incredibly exciting and rewarding moment in my career where within hours I got to actually call the detectives who had no leads and give them a name of a rapist. Anyway, he went to jail. And he was a bad guy. Yeah. He was a, you know. So here's the rub. Um, That particular lady that was raped she committed suicide and I didn't know that till years later and she couldn't cope so she committed suicide that's heavy isn't it that's an addendum to that story but my point is that you know to be able to track that guy down so quickly so I think it's really important in this day and age like in other countries like Duarte in um, the Philippines where he's just fucking murdering everyone like summary justice star chamber where you go down that path and you start killing people because you don't like them you don't like their you just it's it's a it's, Slip, a, it's a slippery slope yeah yeah and it's and 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 I deeply admire police that um remain professional and and follow due process and that's what the police are there for they're not they're not there to you know to execute they're there to put them before the and and um you know the up at um, Barrowville, you've got those three Indigenous kids that, that that were murdered and there was a thing on last night on television about it and uh, and the police just didn't handle it well, probably because of racism. And then uh, years later, uh, the police commissioner, Andrew Scipione, went up and publicly apologised to the people and said, look, we, we, we fucked up. We didn't handle it properly. So it's, it's good when, you know, the police you know, work professionally and do their very best to, you know, put people before the, the system. And then the system doesn't always, it's not it's not infallible. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, people get out on a technicality and it's very upsetting for the, Imagine how the police feel that yeah. have worked for years to and really, you know, and, and been with the family and been in court and, and, and been cross-examined and then the, and the, they get a no, a not guilty. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough one, but you've got to move on. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's tricky. I mean, I'm... Look, I, I'm hoping that I can come up with a few cheerful stories. Look, me too. I mean, we've had a few on this season so far, but this was, without a doubt, like, the darkest episode. Um, like, don't be surprised, listeners, if there's a few bits that were darker that I had to actually just kind of snip out just to kind of spare you a little bit. I do actually have a question from a listener to close out, which is kind of lighter. Yep, good. Um, and next week, we will make a concerted effort to tell some lighter stories. We, we knew going Look, it's in... it's tough. Look, in forensics, Paul, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you can't, you know, you don't mix generally forensics and comedy I know. don't go together. I'm not, no, no, don't get me wrong. I don't think, um, and listeners probably know this, we're not trying to make this funny. Like, but, but it's tricky because forensics is a really unique strain of policing and 
I wanted to use this season to kind of dig into what it actually means to be dealing with like death on that scale, like what it does to a person and how you cope and what kind of things people don't know are happening that are actually happening. Um, you know, finding out what it's like to actually do forensics. This question from Tim Bates is a little lighter and I hope you don't mind. Uh, Tim Bates asks, what was your favorite beverage to have during an autopsy? It's a very, very good question, Tim. Um, and I'll answer it in hindsight. And that is that I would love to have had a beautiful single malt Japanese whiskey on standby. But, you know, you can't. And I didn't drink coffee till I was 29. So you can't have an open beverage during an autopsy? We're talking alcohol? No, anything. Oh, no, nah, I didn't even have water. Really? Well, the stench was generally pretty bad, particularly if it was a decomposed body. And what we used to do, we used to get this weird, um, like a like a balm, and we used to put it into our nostrils to say you'd be sort of, every time you breathe, you'd be pulling back this vapor, mm. like a, a menthol vapor, which was pretty potent. It'd make you cry. Yeah. But... Yeah, look, you know what? I I don't even think I don't think I could put any fluid into my mouth during any postmortems. The thought of food uh, or drink, yeah. You know, I, I I could never eat or drink. It it was just intense. And actually, when I think about it, some of these postmortems were were very long and very arduous. Yeah. And um, no, uh, I had nothing. N- nil by. Nil no, no. by mouth, I think, and I, and 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 thinking back, I mean, it, I don't think that environment really lent itself to people eating or drinking. Yeah, yeah that's that's the reality. Okay, what about um, at crime scenes? Let's say you're surrounded by bodies and it's time for a lunch break. Did you ever like, uh, you know, chomp into a sandwich or never? No, never. So it's a very sterile, basically. Your whole body. Sh- look, really, you, you, I think some of your, some of your. Uh, day-to-day mechanisms shut down. Of course. You know, you become very, very, uh, you know, you'd have no desire, for example, to go to the toilet and you couldn't, particularly if it was at a... a, Well, you can't, you can't because there could be incredible evidence in the toilet. There could be incredible evidence in the S-bend where the murderer has flushed, but that flush is still safe somewhere. Gotcha. So it was not uncommon to go outside the building and perhaps get a and and remove the S bend because in that S bend you might find um, skin, teeth, hair, bone, which is trapped. I mean, it's incredible the lengths we'd go to. I mean, you're saying this now, and yeah, I am not hungry anymore. No, nor am I. Good God! I remember, I used to go to the morgue on Sunday morning sometimes, and some of the the hardened people that worked at the morgue would often. The, the regular thing was to have this amazing stew every Sunday morning at the morgue at Glebe. And they used to, you know, make jokes about what was in it. But no, I can't sit in a, in a morgue eating. That's me. But if I worked there... Maybe you'd kind of become that way. Yeah. That's and really, look, Paul, yeah. uh, 
next episode, I'd like to touch on some very, very bizarre stuff that happened and happens in morgues. Yes, 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 because um, there is a very prominent chapter in the Loose Units book which talks about your first time in a morgue, and I would like to really explore that. Oh, because the stories are a legend. Great, because morgues are a huge part of this, and I think maybe um, they're a sterile environment, so maybe they'll be less traumatizing than uh, this episode. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, the podcast. We hope you had a good time. Uh, this is a uh, very special announcement, by the way. The first run of Loose Units, the book, is nearly sold out. When we launched this book just over one year ago, I really wasn't sure what to expect, but I had a lot of people telling me it was a huge slog, uh, a lot of author friends. And you know what? They're right. It was a huge slog, but it's also been so much fun and it's been so fulfilling. The Loose Units community has grown and I really just wanted to let you all know that I really appreciate all of you and your feedback and your interactions. So let's sell out those remaining copies of Loose Units. You can grab them online or at Big W or you can get them at penguin.com.au. But either way, let's sell out this run. Let's really push the boat out. Loose Units is proudly presented by Pillow Talk Productions. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.